Welcome to Control the Controllables. I'm Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis Academy in Spain, and we've teamed up with Max Tennis Academy in Ireland. We've brought this podcast together to entertain, educate, and energize the tennis community through the different lenses of the sport that we love. From Grand Slam champions to those at grassroots level, from sports journalists to backroom staff, Our aim is truly to get under the bonnet of the tennis world at all levels. So sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 101 of Control the Controllables. And it's another fun episode. Today we get to review the Australian Open 2021. And we've got our brilliant panellists that have come back to do so. We've got Anne Kiofa-Vong, we have Naomi Brody, they are both back. And then we have Xavier Melis, he doesn't run off to play golf halfway through the review. And I think that's because, as you'll find out, the two people that he picked to win the Australian Open actually did. If only you could see the WhatsApp chats, he hasn't stopped talking about it for the last three or four days. Freddie Nielsen was unable to join us. He's in Montpellier playing doubles and he had practice at that time. So we brought in Mark Hilton, Dan Evans's old coach, Kyle Edmonds' old coach, to offer some amazing insights. And we just had a great laugh. We had a great chat. We got some amazing insights from the Australian Open. And it was, let's just say this, if it's half as enjoyable to listen to it as it was to do it, then you are absolutely going to love this one. I'm going to pass you over to our brilliant panellists for the Australian Open 2021 review. So guys, welcome back. A big welcome to Control the Controllables for our Australian Open 2021 review show. And guests on the show today, we have Naomi Brody back. So welcome, Naomi. Thank you very much. <laughs> and this time joining us from Egypt, from South Africa last time, Egypt this time. Uh, we have Xavier Melis, who he's just finished off the golf course. Uh, he's back. He's got a glass of red wine. He's ready to share his insights. So a big welcome to you as well, Xavier. Thanks, Dan. And Anne, Kay. I'm back. <laughs> back, back again. <laughs> fresh from talking about Australian Open tennis for the last three weeks. So lovely to have you. And the kids are in bed, no homeschooling this time. No, no. And, and, and instead of Freddie Nielsen, we've we've replaced him. We've replaced him with <laughs> Mark Hilton. He couldn't make it last time. He, he said he had dodgy Wi-Fi in Egypt, but uh, Naomi's managed to find a way around that, Hilt. <laughs> you know, that dodgy excuse. So welcome to the show, Hilt. Nice to be here. And I have to start with you, Xavier, because in our WhatsApp group, I have to give you the credit. You know, we all we all made our predictions. Um, dare I say yours were quite safe. Um, however, you managed to pick the men's winner in Novak Djokovic and also the female winner in Naomi Osaka. So how does it feel to be king of the hill sitting on the room tonight? It was pretty damn good. It's been a while. <laughs> No, I mean, you know, you know what they say, every dog gets lucky once in a while. So 
<laughs> and, and I have to say, Freddie also picked the same winners. So Freddie's not here to share in that glory tonight. But and and Anne, what about you? What are your what are your favourite stories from the last two or three weeks? My favourite story, um, probably seeing Nick Kyrgios back in action. I think he's always a story, and the, the entertainment um, he brings to the court and the drama that second round match against Umber, I thought was one of the most entertaining matches. Um, on the women's side, obviously seeing Osaka save two match points against Muguruza coming through that match um, and then obviously eventually lifting the trophy at the end. But quite frankly, the fact that they, they had an event and uh, they had fans to come in to watch for the most part, apart from those five days, I think overall it was a success. Oh, absolutely. What about you, Hilt? It must have, must have been strange. You've been to pretty much all the Grand Slams over the last over the last few years. You know, how, how was it looking in from the outside this time? Yeah, it was a bit different, wasn't it? I mean, like Anne touched on it, it was so good to see fans back in the in the stadiums again. I mean, they were unfortunate obviously with that those five days in the middle, but to see to see the guys competing and the girls competing in, in that those sort of environments again was was really good to see. Um, you know, some of the tennis was was so such a high level. And, you know, a couple of shots coming through the draw on both the men's and the women's was, um, it's, it's refreshing, isn't it? You know, there was always going to be some obvious contenders for the tournament, which, which we saw, but great to see some of these people coming through. And you, you touched on the shocks. We tried to preempt that in our preview show. You know, we all had a bit of a we all had a bit of a dig on who the shocks were. Now, I have to say a couple of people picking Schweitek and and Andriscu, who'd already previously won uh, Grand Slams, didn't count, uh, even though they didn't exactly set the world alight. But um, my pick lost first round, uh, so that didn't overly work. My, my, who was it? Who was your pick again? My, well, my two picks actually. I was I went Sakari and Kostyuk. So Kostyuk lost first uh -huh. round. Sakari, which Anne, I believe you picked Sakari as well. She went out in the second I, round. I, I picked her just to do well, right? Not to win or uh, anything. But she went, she lost second round. She didn't do well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Hilt's, Hilt's picked Dimanua, um, who didn't set the world alight. Um, Naomi picked Sinner, who went out first round. Um, it was a good match, though. It was a good match. Uh, and Xavier didn't pick anybody um, on that one. He didn't even he didn't even have a stab in the dark. So uh, we we didn't we didn't set the world alight on that. But there certainly was someone who, and I can't believe when Naomi's such a good friend of this girl as well that she didn't pick her as her dark horse. And that is <laughs> that is the finalist Jennifer Brady. So uh, she must have been right up there as one of your favourite stories of the of the two weeks. Oh, she absolutely has to be. I um obviously messaged her after the well after several of her matches but after the final as well there was that really funny moment that kind of went viral of of Osaka when she turned and said do you prefer to be called Jennifer or Jenny to which Jen replied Jenny and then Naomi proceeded to refer to her as Jennifer throughout <laughs> the rest of the speech um, so I think a few people were messaging her about that but I think that's typical Naomi as well though and I, I'm, I'm sure that she'll play on that as well just being so she, she kind of makes out that she's so well that she is so socially awkward sometimes and um, gets quite embarrassed and in a bit of a muddle when but yeah so happy for Jenny she's I love the way that she comes across she's exactly who she is and she doesn't have this persona to try and be someone else she's just um she's just herself which is great 
and she had a moment in the final. Eh? I did a four-all love 30 second serve, forehand yeah. return miss. And to be honest, it, she didn't even get a sniff after that. But it just brings in that like, you know, tennis is a game of moments. And I, I'd love to go back to that. I'm sure she would love to go back to that moment and, you know, put that return in court, get to love 40 and see what happens. I don't know. What would you take on the final, Anne? I always thought, yeah, I, after that epic semi-final they, they played against each other at the US Open, I did think um, Osaka, with her record in finals, um, would be the dominant force, which, yeah, she proved to be. Um, and in the end, it was quite a one-sided final. I don't think, I mean, even though Jen, Jen, Jennifer, how are we referring to her again? <laughs> Jen or Jenny. Jenny. J, JB. Um, <laughs> she... Yeah, I mean, she had her chance there, like you said, at four all love 30. But I, I still think with Osaka's experience on, in those um, situations, you know, when it really matters, she has the ability to raise her level. I just, yeah, I always felt there was only ever going to be one winner in that final. Yeah. And, you know, watching Osaka play over the last two weeks, I, you know, when she is dialed in like that in, at the slams, I struggle to see anyone really beating her on a hard court. I really do. Um, she appears to be in a good place. She seems settled and happy with the team she's got around her. Um, and she just seems so mature now. I mean, wiser than mm. her 23 years, that's for sure. Yeah, she seems to have, have changed her perspective a little bit as well. And I, I know that she, I heard her say, I think it was after the Serena match, that the lockdown has helped her with that. And, and actually yeah. maybe, and I don't know, it'd be great to get your thoughts in a minute, Xavier and Naomi, on this. But she said, you know, she before the lockdown, when she played a tennis match, she almost put her own self-worth based on the results that she got. You know, and I think it's something a lot of tennis players do. They win, they, they feel they're almost a good person. And that, that inability to almost separate what you are as a person and what your results are on court. And I think... You know, she basically said, look, I know I'm a good person and actually tennis is separate. I, I know where it fits into my life now and I feel like I'm able to play much more relaxed. Is, is that something that you can relate to, Xavier, when you when you were a player? Um, I, I thought I was a bit uh, the other way around. I always played good tennis when I was feeling happy off the court. So obviously when you win, uh, you you listen more to your coach than when you get a loss. You know, you're open to more discussions too. Um, I think everybody's different that way. You can practice and do everything you want, but, you know, matches are different. But winning obviously, uh, you know, makes you to where you are. But I think when you win, you can talk more with your coach and discuss more things and you're more open to new, new discussions or new things. Um, yeah. I think when you lose, sometimes you can get in that negative vibe and stuff. You don't want to listen, all that. So it's it's just, you know, it's that circle you want to be in of, of positive things. But, I mean, for me personally, I, you know, it was the other way around. I, I didn't reflect my tennis back on my personal life. My personal life kind okay. of reflected back on my tennis. Yeah. And if you feel really good off the court, then you accept more things on the court, I thought. 
And what about you, Naomi? You know, I know since we last spoke, you in South Africa, you're very much in the, you know, we joked off air, you know, around the world in 80 days, you know, going from place <laughs> to place, you know, you must, there's a lot of heartbreak, you know, playing on the ITF, ITF events where, you know, the stakes are almost higher because, you know, people are yeah. paying to playing to keep going, you know, rather than, you know, playing to have the Lamborghini that's in pink or the Lamborghini <laughs> that's got the gold dusted plates, you know, you're, you're maybe playing for your dinner a little bit more. So is that something that you've experienced or you see players experience as well? That's so funny that Naomi said that. And I'm actually going to go try to find that interview because I've actually used those exact words myself and I okay. associated it more. I had a bad ankle injury um, in the October before in the November sorry before the tour was cancelled then in the following March so I actually almost had a full six months out before lockdown happened so I kind of put it down to the injury rather than the time off for yeah. Covid but it was maybe a combination just in general having time away from tennis but those exact words that you just said Naomi said that um, I totally would associate my self-worth with my wins and losses and you yeah. start to think you know, it's not just that I'm playing bad, but I'm then almost not worthy and I'm then rubbish. And, you know, it, it becomes detached from your tennis, whereas then having all that time off, you can kind of look back in a non-emotional way and say, you know, this is nothing to do with me. I'm, I'm my own person and I'm my own self. And that's just my tennis. And that's such a small part of you. But I think when you're so caught up in the tour and playing every single day and, and as I said, all those players, Jenny was one of them who were locked in their hotel rooms for two weeks in that quarantine in Melbourne. I think it, it's just a time for us all as tennis players to realise that we're OK if we don't play tennis for a week or two, yeah, because yeah. it's become such a big part of our lives. And it, and, it, and it does get, you know, the wires do get crossed with your self-worth and your performance on the court, because it, it's so time consuming, isn't it? It's, a, yeah. it's our entire lives at times. Yeah. And I do think, I think the college tennis does help with that a little bit i do find that the players that go to college maybe have a bit of a different perspective as well they've they've gone they've spent kind of four years maybe partying a little bit getting a little bit of that out the system but also getting a degree you know spending time with different people outside of the sport and i think it's a really interesting story jenny's because it's you know she wasn't even the number one player at ucla <laughs> you know she was playing two or three on <laughs> the team you know, and I think it's so good for our sport. And I'll, we'll get to the men's side on that similar story, you know, a after this. But the big one that, that hits me, Hilton, from, from a coach's perspective, you know, I was asking a lot of coaches. We had Alex Ward, who's going to be coming on the podcast. We spoke to him, Heather Watson's coach. We had Tom Hill, you know, who came on and, you know, he was, he was speaking about it. And I asked them the same question. How are they going to deal with their players coming out of hard quarantine? Because the facts are... Jenny Brady made final. However, no other player made it past the third round. So, so it was quite a, wow. it's quite like an astronomical kind of difference. So she, she's done something. She, really well. I would, one thing I would point out though, on the way to the final, she only had to play against two top 50 players. I mean, you, you know, you, you have to beat whoever's on the yeah. other side of the court, but in terms of the draw, and then you compare that to Osaka's route to the final, yeah. it's significantly different. Yeah, but her body, I guess her body and mind is... Yeah, her body, yeah. 
has yeah. lasted seven matches where, you know, maybe the, the others weren't quite prepared. You know, if Hiltz, I know you weren't there as a coach, but if you put yourself in that position, you know, how significant is that of what, what she's achieved? Well, it's hugely significant. I, th I think it was so, it's so unknown, wasn't it, how people were going to react coming out of that quarantine. And, you know, there's no there's no right way, no wrong way of, of how you're going to prepare after that. I think you've really got to go with the with the player, how they feel, how, you, you know, you, this is where the person first as a coach is so important, isn't it? Understanding what makes players tick, understanding how, how they operate under, under different pressures. And, um, and I'm sure that, that all the players out there would have come out of lockdown feeling differently, whether they were more relaxed without, about it, more anxious about it. And again, it's the skill of the coach, isn't it? Getting to, to understand the player and, and what's going to get them to a position where they feel they can perform without, without overdoing it with the risks that are clearly going to be involved with not playing and doing stuff for, for those couple of weeks. One word I love, actually, and it's now that I'm a bit of an old fart in this sport, is, is reframe and the ability to reframe situations. And again, and I love listening to the players' interviews, the ones that speak openly give us so much insight into what they're thinking and how they're dealing with things. And I think actually young players should spend more time listening to player interviews. And, and what Brady said afterwards was, she said, actually, the way that I looked at it was, I kind of needed a rest. <laughs> and she almost, you know, and, and just by that very quick mental reframe, She's flipped the whole thing on her head, you know, actually two weeks, Netflix, two weeks, you know, speaking to my friends on FaceTime and obviously taking care of a body as well. It's then it, I think it's a great lesson for us all. You know, when we are having potentially difficult situations, how can we flip it and find find the opportunity in it and it's then no surprise I guess that someone like that has come out whereas we heard some of these players that were complaining on Twitter complaining everywhere saying these things I'm not sure any of them won many matches and probably weren't in the mindset to do so and Anne I want to bring you to, to my pick can't believe she oh, remind me who was can't, can't believe she choked can't believe she choked I was like I could just picture <laughs> Xavier's face, the smug look on his face. I knew that I picked Djokovic and I knew that was that was that was in the bank, but I, Serena Williams. And I really felt, you know, when Serena took Halep out in the quarters, I don't know if I did text you, Anne, but I certainly wanted to because I know Halep was your pick. And, and what, what was I even thinking? Well, she made quarters. She made the quarters, but I just thought Serena. Oh, and after, especially after Freddie went on about how much quicker the court was as well yeah. on the last podcast, I didn't really absorb any of that information, did I? It's <laughs> a lot of pressure in this Zoom room, you know, and it's <laughs> it's not easy to produce under pressure. But yeah, Serena Williams, and, and I guess the big talking point on that was one. I thought she looked incredibly fit and ready to to be playing at that level again. Um, and and that's you know I really could see her going far, but there seemed to be there seemed to be a goodbye that people were talking about. There seemed to be quite a heavy emotion attached to it. What's your take? Are we going to see Serena Williams again? I hope so. I really do. Um, you know, I still feel like she's got a lot to give for, to the game. Um, I feel her best chance will be at Wimbledon this year if it is going to happen. If it doesn't happen this year at Wimbledon, I'm not sure we will see 24. Um, 
yeah as I hate myself for saying that out loud because I, I really <laughs> you know it, a, I know I know I, I want her to to get there but it's just become this huge thing yep. but regardless of number 24 to me she's still the great you know she'll go down as one of the greatest of all times what she's achieved has been phenomenal um it was disappointing um the way she well I guess the way she played it in that match against Osaka I was expecting you know a tough battle I was hoping for a free set epic match but we didn't quite get there and I don't know she she looked the total opposite to how she was against Halep where she yeah. you know it was just heavily one-sided she dominated from start to finish um but I don't know whether she just has a different type of respect for Naomi Osaka and by having that amount of respect for for someone like Naomi Osaka perhaps she she feels she's unable to produce the tennis that's required to beat her on that stage I don't know I mean I'm just saying some of these things out loud but yeah. I did think yeah okay Serena she said it in her press conference after she thought she was very erratic and, and whatnot and she's not really one to give um, her opponent too much credit after a loss like that but I did feel Saka when it you know when push came to shove um, in the big moments she was able to produce the big serves necessary she was able yep. to raise her level again and and that's really what sets her apart from the other players right now and xavier i don't know if you heard about um raja the cat you, have you heard about raja the cat no so, i have not so raja the cat was <laughs> predicting who was going to win matches at the, <laughs> at, the, at the at the australian open and that's now your new nickname now that you've got <laughs> now that you've who, who who's won. And and this cat was apparently during week one predicted every single match that they, that it did correctly. Okay. And then and then was on Djokovic for every match, you know, which obviously sought through. So seeing as you are somewhat related to Roger the Cat with your <laughs> with your predictions, uh, how many how many grand slams are we going to see Naomi Osaka win? Um, wow. I mean, if she doesn't get injured or anything, I think we could be going up to where, I'm not going to say where Serena is or was, but it could be close. I mean, I don't see many, uh, I didn't, uh, I'm going to be honest, I didn't see too much of the match with Serena and stuff. I did see a bit with uh, against Brady. But it just doesn't seem like she's going to miss, you know. It's just she takes the ball on the rise. She stands in the court, got no time for the other players. It just looks all very compact and very good. And I think mentally she looks strong, you know. Some serves were close. She kind of just looks at the umpire, smiles, and just plays. So, you know, I think this could be this could be going up to where Serena. Obviously, it's a long, long way away, but... Yeah. You know, if you're, what is it, 4-0 and in finals? I mean, obviously, you know, that confidence you take with you also every time you're in the final. I mean, it could be going quick. Um, like Anne said on hardcore, I don't see anybody beating her. Um, maybe one set, but to beat her two sets is you're going to have to play your best tennis and on all points and be physically fit. And I thought... That's where Serena is in good shape, but she looked a little bit slower than Naomi on the on, on some point. So, yeah. you know, if she stays this fit with this tennis, she could do uh, amazing things and maybe go after uh, after a Serena. And and Naomi, who uh, 
moving into 2021 in on the women's tour it's a bit of a dangerous question after some of the answers we got on the last on the last, con- on the last conversation <laughs> <laughs> but, but <laughs> who are, who are we to look out for 2000, 2021 2021 you know we now have got a pretty good idea what shape the girls are in you know is is it now we, we were saying we were saying before the tournament we can't pick it's impossible how are we going to pick anyone and now here we are 3 weeks later talking about Osaka about to overtake Serena Williams for winning 24 grand slams you know it feels as that, if that's most, big from Javier that's big it's a, it's a big <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it's, definitely a big call yeah, i was just trying to well, do the math in my the head right <laughs> behind me so i'm okay <laughs> How how old is Osaka now? Is she 23? So she's easily got a, what ten years left. Well, sixteen if Four she goes Serena. <laughs> yeah, it, it's crazy. She, she could, the time she's yeah. done. <laughs> who, who knows how many she could go? But, yeah, but for uh, for who to look out for on the women's tour, it's the same conversation as you have whatever month of the year. There's it's so open. I'm definitely excited in a totally unbiased opinion of Jenny Brady to see her at French Open yeah. um, I think her game with her big forehand such great kick serve um, now she's got the kind of, kind of like Sam Stoza in, in yeah. that sense yeah. her style yeah exactly I'm, I'm excited to see how she could go at French now she's got you know confidence she's had a grand slam final she's got that under her belt um, and she's working with the German coaches that she worked with Julia Gorges for a while um, Michael Chesterer yeah, and I think she's been training with him in Germany for a while because I was messaging her when she first started working with him. And they're in quite a small town. And she's like, oh, like I'm struggling to find, you know, certain foods that I like here. And it, it was quite a big adjustment for her moving from Florida where she's yeah, been training cool. for years and, and stuff. So, uh, but it's definitely obviously paying off. And Jen's always been in great shape, but I think she looks even in better shape now as well so she's obviously been working really hard so I think Jen's obviously one to look out for not that that's a big call when she's just made a grand slam final but I do like to play my 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 guess is safe um see if Naomi can win obviously a few more slams this year if she's gonna do like Xavier said and catch up to Serena she's gonna have to win never never been past the fourth round at the French Open or Wimbledon Osaka which I can kind of get on clay because she's Although she doesn't need to move that much because she's so dominant, I can kind of get it that she's grown up and spent such a vast majority on hard, but I don't know why she hasn't done better at Wimbledon. That to me doesn't make sense when she's got such a huge ball strike. Mm. Guys, I'm gonna as, as fascinating and, and by the way, and, and it was, I think the I think the women's event really showed what a great place women's tennis is in right now. I think there was some some amazing matches. But I just want to kind of move us to the side into the men's event. And Hilt, I want to bring it to you because I put on uh, Soto Tennis's Instagram, who do you think will win, not who do you want to win? That's two different things. The final between Djokovic and Medvedev. And 67% went for Medvedev. So then I looked into it a little bit more. And everywhere that there was polls, everyone was at Medvedev. Medvedev. And then I looked at the bookies, not that I was putting money on, just to clarify. However, the bookies had Medvedev favourite. And I was like, Djokovic has won 17 Grand Slams. He's won eight Australian Opens. And, and That's at, bizarre. And, and at semi-final stage, not one other semi-finalist had won a Grand Slam. Yet, 
Yet for some reason, everyone had in their heads Medvedev was going to win this match. And you were one of them, Hilt, because Medvedev was your pick at the start of the tournament. So, um, you know, grovel to the listeners, do whatever you need to do to, to get your integrity back, you know. But tell us, tell us where you stand on it now and what you thought about it. Oh, well, yeah, I, I did think Medvedev was going to win. I mean, I think he went into, I, I saw the other day, he went into the back of that match. I think he'd won like his last 20 matches in a row and 13 against them were against top 10 players. I mean, he was playing unbelievable tennis. I mean, unfortunately for him, he goes up against the guy who just doesn't lose in Australia, does he? Just doesn't lose. And yeah, that final, it just, you could sense how dialed in Djokovic was in that final. And, um, you know, it made Medvedev panic. You know, he, he, he genuinely lost his level because of it. And, and Djokovic obviously played a huge part in that. And, he just came up against Do you think the occasion got to him as well? I'm not so sure about that. I mean, I, I just think he's coming across a formidable player who's who plays who plays unbelievable in Australia. And he was he was finding form right at the end of the tournament, wasn't he? I mean, it's easy to say that now, but his level in the in the last couple of matches was was so good. And um and what can you say? He, he's he's you wouldn't back against Djokovic now going on to to get the record of slams, would you? I mean I, I would never doubt Djokovic, even if he claims to have strained a stomach muscle or anything like that. I would still back Djokovic. No, 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 no one's believing that the whole stomach injury stuff. I mean, he's listen. He's not the most likable guy, but his his level is is incredible, and he's got to be respected. I mean, he's an amazing yeah. player. What he he was awesome in that final. I yeah. thought. Yeah, no, I think he, I think he was. I think uh, my my take on the final actually was that Medvedev was the best player in the first set. I actually do think Medvedev has Djokovic's number in terms of game style a bit, and I think you know he's beaten them three out of the last four times. For me, it was the occasion was it, it's very different over five sets. I think it's very different that Grand Slam experience. We we play a sport where you've got to win 51, 52% of the points. So the margins are so small. And I always felt that experience was going to give him that little bit. But I thought even the way Djokovic approached it, and Xavi, I'd love to bring you in at this point, because I I noticed some little subtle differences in terms of how Djokovic approached that match tactically. And I think even the fact that he was making those changes tactically show that Medvedev's maybe in his head, where Djokovic wouldn't normally almost even worry about his opponent so much. I don't know what you saw. Um, well, I'm going to be honest here. I didn't see the first set, but I saw the other sets. Um, but it just looked like Medvedev is a bit of a different player. Um, you know, like you say, Djokovic eight times in Australia, he feels comfortable. Um, you know, there's a big difference between the semis and the final also. So it changes your mind, it changes your tactic. Um, and I think experience, I mean, at the end of the day, experience is a lot of, is a huge thing in tennis or in sports. And I think that's where it got the best of him too. Djokovic knew what he was going to do. Like you said, tactical, he had his plan stuck with it. And at the end, there was not really a match. I mean, it just went quick. Um, and I do think Medvedev tried to overplay a little bit. And then it just looked like it was just going easy. And it's just, yeah, it's experience to me is still one of the key things. You see a lot of players, young players, they choke at some point or this. But when you got that experience of winning, once Medvedev wins one, I think he's going to go on to win maybe a couple um, or even more. But 
you play Djokovic, like you say, it's Djokovic on the other side. Yeah. And I was surprised, like you say, with the polls, everybody was picking uh, Medvedev and stuff. And to be honest, I was picking Medvedev. But I think it's also a little bit of like, like, uh, like Hilt said, you know, he won so many matches in a row. Um, he had the confidence and the thing, but a final is a final and it's a different game at that stage. It's also, it's it, just thinking about that first set, it's such small margins though, isn't it? Having, I mean, Djokovic obviously got off to an unbelievable start in the first three games before Medvedev got back into it. But when Medvedev was serving to stay in that first set at 5-6, first two points, he doesn't land a first serve, which, yeah. you know, is his, one of his biggest strengths and you're up against the best returner in the world and you know Djokovic you know makes him pay for it in the next few points as well and it was such I don't know it was such a high quality first set it was physical you could see both of them really gassing in between points and I don't know whether that match was really won and lost on that first set Medvedev at the start of the second looked rather lost despite breaking in the opening game yeah it's like you could just kind of see him thinking perhaps how the hell am I going to get past this guy how am I going to get this ball past this guy he's getting everything back but you know Djokovic played a smart match the one area I was surprised I don't know you guys tell me what you think but I mean Djokovic mixed up his serve really well particularly on that juice side I mean he was getting him on that wide serve early on and towards the end of the match you know using that mixing it up with the t-serve really well but I never noticed Medvedev change his return position I mean what do you do in that in that scenario but he's got such a big you know his motion on the forehand side of return is it's huge you know yeah he's got i mean his wingspan is massive yeah. but he's so far back behind the baseline and i just didn't see any kind of i don't know unless i missed something yeah. any adjustment yeah no they stick with it but like i say you know when you have when you play in the rally and you have a big motion it's okay but on the return it's a total different different story so at some point when it's not working you have to adjust and you know maybe mentally tired sometimes you know it, it all plays a, a part at the end of the of a tournament I think also and do you think Hilt any of these I guess the, the big one on the men's side is the big three you know Djokovic actually I thought that was quite uh quite brave of him actually before the final to to turn around and, and say that we're the big three and, and actually they're not they're not coming for us yet. <laughs> you know, the night before a final when somebody can can put egg on your face, you know, is quite he's obviously very confident to to come out with that comment. But it just seems like this next generation of players that are coming through, apart from probably team who is is already 28, it seems like they don't quite have the same level of discipline seems like they don't quite have the same level of obsession to be the the, the players that, that you know, Dals, your Federer's, your Djokovic. Like Djokovic talked, and I know we have the joke about the, the ab, and who knows, you know, he says that there was a tear in his ab, but he, he talked about the 14 hours of the day, 10 hours were spent on a physio table. You know, it feels as if there's such an obsession with these top, top, top guys where there's Verevs that you can imagine are out and not sleeping properly or eating properly. You know, you can, it, it, are the next generation guys taking it as seriously? And why is it that it's taken so long for them to catch these these big guys up? I, I think, for starters, I do think those younger guys, they're, they're completely into it. You know, the reality is they're coming against, you know, the, the three best players to probably ever play the sport. It's good. 
it's not a straightforward thing to knock them off their perch. But, uh, you know, like Xavier said, in the slam, it's different. You know, they can take them at other tournaments. You know, it gets in the back end of those two weeks and there's a certain belief that those guys will have that they're going to cross the line. And, you know, team amazing to win US Open, but you, you could always say that Djokovic lost that US Open, you know, and he was in prime spot to, to, to win that one as well, really, in the position he was in. But I just think that it's not a case of the, the, the players not being completely focused to, to reach the top. It's just that they're coming up against three guys who, um, who are just the best of the sport's ever seen. It's going to, it's going to, going to take something to knock them off and you know it's probably going to be taking time more than anything just to with age against them you know but they, they're, they're coming I mean whether it's Medvedev, Sissipas, Shapovalov you know all the teams you know they're, they're there it's, it's just it's still they're playing at such an incredible level particularly Djokovic and you can you can see you can see French Open already you know it's going to be you know, everyone's going to be talking about Nadal and Djokovic you know and yeah. you get to Wimbledon, you never know what situation Federer's going to be. It's probably going to be his last chance if he can get one more. Um, but these are the guys still to beat. Is anyone talking about Nick Kyrgios, Naomi? That, they, he seemed to, once again, provide some serious entertainment for us all, huh? Well, I'm taking credit for that because I said in the last podcast that I just hoped that Nick would win a match or two and give us some good entertainment. So that's exactly what he did. So I think I'm the cat whatever the cat's name is, because <laughs> I predicted that. Love, love him What's or love the cat's him. name? Roger. Roger. Roger yeah. the cat. Roger the cat. I predicted that Nick would win a round or two and provide us all with much entertainment. So I am Roger the cat. But yeah, he, it, you know, people were saying he didn't look fit and stuff, but it's Nick and it, it doesn't matter when, when he's um, got that mindset and, especially a home crowd and stuff. The only thing is, I don't know how much he's going to still travel this year with all the COVID restrictions and stuff. That that would be the only reason that I would say, because obviously, especially on the grass, maybe not a contender for French. I think, I don't, I don't know how successful he'll be on clay, he but can't win a on grass. Grand Slam. He no, but I definitely don't think he's going to win it. Yeah, it's exactly. the ticket. It I don't think ticket. he's going to win it, but I think he could definitely cause a few upsets in the early rounds. I, I'm certainly not saying he's going to win Wimbledon, but he's he's definitely going to be the person who everybody wants to, as, as you say, and get a ticket and go watch him and, you know, cause a few upsets early rounds and, um, yeah, be really fun to watch. Who's the man, Hiltz, to, to help Nick Kyrgios get to the stage of winning a Grand Slam? And I, I'll share, we, we have our... This podcast will go out a little bit, a couple of days after our 100th podcast, which is the great Nick Bolateri. And, uh, and we, spoke, we spoke about getting the bolateri Kyrgios double act coming together to get, to get him on the road. And Nick told, told me blow by blow how he's going to do it. So make sure you listen to that one. Uh, but yeah, who, is, is, can anybody or is it, is it only Nick that can change can change that? I think it's only Nick who can change Nick. You know, he's he's an incredible talent, and no one's doubting his level, his application. You can put into question is. I think he loves tennis. You know, and and he and if you speak to him, he he's so switched on with the game. You know, I'm not sure he could have the best person in his corner, but he he does it his way, right? And he always has done it his way. He'll have phenomenal weeks. He'll have phenomenal wins. He'll he'll be unbelievable entertainment for the sport. And I really hope he 
there is a way for him to be at the back end of those biggest tournaments. But, you know, I'm not sure that his lifestyle, although I don't know what, how his lifestyle is, but how we perceive his lifestyle to be, it's conducive to be in the back ends of those events at the moment. And it's going to be down to him, right? I mean, he's, 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 his tennis is as good as anyone's on the day. But to do it over the course of two weeks, seven matches, best of five, no, it's just, he's not ready for that right now. He sounds like he needs a Xavier Melis in his corner, someone who understands <laughs> understands the way that this world works. How 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 would you help Nick Kyrgios, Xavier? I wouldn't. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, not I wouldn't. It's just it's like Mark said. It's just he has to decide for himself. Like you say, two weeks, seven matches. He could beat Nadal on Wednesday, and then go cuckoo against number a qualifier on, on Friday. So it starts with yourself. I mean, that's one thing I can talk about is I went crazy sometimes or this, but and until I made the decision to actually get help and listen and get it better, you know, and then you, 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 you make the decision, but until you don't do it yourself, yeah. there could be a thousand people telling him what to do it's just it's just not gonna and i'm not saying it's bad it's you know he's he's gotten to where he is and 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 he's a very good player but like like hilt said again if you want to contend for a slam and 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 prove that your talent is is real then you need to you need to make decisions and make changes sometimes we all do you know i mean feather always said i'm still learning but it's you have to decide what you want to do. Do you want to win slams and be serious, or you want to make it a crazy show where everybody loves you and lose maybe in the quarters, or maybe get a semis or lose in second round? But that's a decision up to him. But I think it also goes back to the the thing we spoke about earlier on the self worth, and I guess even we're guilty of that in this conversation. You know, we're kind of judging people on on how far they go, and 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 actually that the real success of a person isn't really what they do on the tennis court. You know, it's what kind of person they are. There's, there's bigger picture purposes. There's, you know, and, and I think it's really important that we connect with that. And I'm a massive Nick Kyrgios fan. I really am. And I think, I, I think he, he's actually connected with what his purpose in life is a little bit to, to use tennis as a platform to give back to, to kids in his neighborhood, in his area, you know, for him to be able to, to, to do good in life. And, you know, because he enjoys a few glasses of wine before he plays a match, who are we to judge that that's a bad thing? And, and, and I think we can, right, we can, healthy, right? Yeah, no, 100%. And I, and, and I think, I think tennis is a sport. We can be guilty of that, that we, that we expect everyone to be this, this perfect shell of what a, a professional should look like. And, and every individual is very different. And I, and I think he's amazing for the sport. And, you know, I, I like I say, I think he's, he's going to go down as someone who will, will give a lot back through his platform as well. Totally agree. Because I heard, that, I agree. <laughs> isn't he? He does. I mean, I heard he's the guy who does the most like stars program with the kids and the sponsors and stuff. So, you know, it's not like you say behind the scenes. It seems like he's a really good guy and he gives back. But then, the only thing I have a problem with is when he kind of starts against the opponent. Yeah. And maybe disrespecting a little bit. You know, if you do crazy stuff, I mean, I'm guilty of it and everything. But I never really disrespected my opponent. And that's one thing that 
I mean, you want to win. It's a battle, but you know, there's there's a fine line between wanting to beat your opponent or wanting to kind of sometimes disrespecting a little bit and do signs and talk to him. So yeah. that's one, the only thing. thing. Xavier, on that, and and uh, we've got a quick fire quiz at the end, but I'm going to ask the first question now, okay? Because <laughs> it's because it's topical. Which which match had the highest views? And, and out of any match, out of any event at the Australian Open on television in Australia? Must be Kyrgios then. Nick Kyrgios against Dominic Thiem. Yeah. You know, and and it's it's box office. It's and you know who who knows MMA before Conor McGregor came along? You know, who yeah. who who buys a ticket and, and, and the whole kind of fight business and tennis, this is real in tennis. Yeah, I think we we shouldn't just assume that people are going to come and watch tennis for, for the next 50, 60, 70, 80 years. You know, if you if you want to make money as a boxer, you have to sell tickets. So how do you sell tickets? Well, people like to see the good against the bad. You know, people loved watching McEnroe, McEnroe and Borg. You know, people have loved watching that that duel. You know, the the, the ticket 2019 Wimbledon that everyone wanted was the the Dal Kyrgios. You know, so in terms of in terms of that, I I think sometimes some of those things are tongue in cheek, and I think I think as a sport as well, we need to chill our beans a little bit in terms of the disrespect stuff because actually it, it is ultimately supply and demand and it's you know how how are we going to get people into into watch now you know Xavier people will be paying to watch you play in the events you're playing not just because you've got a lovely backhand you know it's it's but you said that, but you said that, but you did say that to me, and I won't name the player that you said, but you said there was a certain player that actually doesn't do the the Masters events because they're not entertaining. They're not able to, to bounce off the crowd. They're not able to talk to sponsors. They're not, and, and, and ultimately we are in the the entertainment business in terms of what, what's, what's happening. And, you know, we all want to be paid in this industry, you know, and all of us do make a living out of this industry in one way or the other. Um, but we do need to find ways of, of, of people being attracted to that. I don't know. What, what do you think of that Hiltz? You're, you're British. It's not really a British tennis mentality. I don't know what your what your take on that is. Well, yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, the, the, the fact is with Nick Kyrgios, he's box office, isn't he? You, you know, you want to watch him. And even when he's behaving not his best, I'd imagine this, that's where he gets his most views. So there's that balance, isn't there? I mean, there's the, the purists that just will obviously love the game for what it is, but there's no doubt that, you know, the younger generations, and you ask them who their favourite player is, Nick Kyrgios often ticks a box, doesn't he? You just hope that someone like him with his sort of character, at some point something switches with him where he, he potentially commits to it a little bit more because we all we all want him to do great. Huh? We all enjoy watching him play. And we all we all love his the way he is on the court in terms of, you know, his, his shot-making abilities and, you know, and he, and he treads a fine line with sometimes how he can be on the court. But as I said, we tune in and we find it entertaining and we talk about it, you know? So yeah. the same when, you know, in British tennis terms, it's, or let's not even use British tennis. You know, if you, if you were watching golf, you've got your Justin Rose and you've got your Ian Poulter and you want to, and I want to watch Ian Poulter at the Ryder Cup just because the way he is. It's the same. I think if you talked in British tennis terms, you'd speak to people who'd say 
do you want to watch Dan Evans because of the ability that he shows, the character that he shows, or do you want to watch Kyle Edmund, who's he's an amazing tennis player, but maybe doesn't show the same character on the court, the same sort of energy? And I want to watch Xavier Melis playing golf. I don't know about Justin Rosny and Poulter. <laughs> what, what, what about you, Anne? And I know that this is no. I just role. wanted. I just wanted to ask whose job. I mean, I agree. I, I think players should be encouraged to show um, show off a bit of uh, their personality. I mean, working now, I guess, on the other side, it's quite hard to talk and promote tennis players when you don't have much. You don't know much about them. They yeah. need to give a bit more. I do think all players need to give a bit more. I mean, it's it's the TV rights that pays the bills um, for most of these events. And people want to get to know the players more. They want to share more content. What is it that goes on behind the scenes? You know, just show us you're a bit more human and you're, you're actually kind of like the rest that, of us. I actually think that we shouldn't be fined for um, banging rackets and stuff. I think unless we damage equipment or hurt somebody or whatever i actually don't think they should that we should be yeah i think it's personality it's entertaining it shows that you're annoyed it's you know yeah i, 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 think I, it's I good have no problem sport. with that i think it expresses i have no emotion. problem with that but as a sister to an umpire an umpire who dishes out a warning for racket abuse is just kind of doing their job but that that kind oh, of goes exactly, higher it's, it's, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's it's absolutely not the chair umpires it's the yeah. it's the rules of the sport i don't i don't think that it should be within the rules that we should be punished for racket abuse unless obviously unless you damage something as i say or you yeah. hurt somebody or whatever then it's like a it's a no nonsense rule don't do it on grass i've never done that i've never done that who, whose job i don't know who does it come down to the atp the wta coaches or you know with youngsters coming through to just be encouraged to you know to to give us a bit more It'll, it'll, you know, this game, we're, we're up against so many other sports and, you know, screen times and whatever. We we just need more from players to it'll keep tennis too late, relevant. It'll, it'll happen as everything happens in life when when people are pushed against the back against the walls, you know, mm. and it's like, it, it's just very easy to go through in an entitled way. Like, I, I have this, and I was like this, even at the, the, lower, the lower end of the game, and we want more money to be there, but who's going to pay for it? how you know there, there needs to be the need, it needs to be thought about a little bit more as as any other business in the world i'd love to make more money i'd love to have it's interesting that atp start doing the next gen but wta actually had the rising star tournament a few years ago but they actually stopped it and if you look back on the they still have their instagram account up wta rising star instagram and all the players on it were like svitolina garcia you know, well-established plays in the WTA now. And I think it's such a good idea from ATP to do next gen. And I think WTA should restart their rising star tournament thing. Because as you say, it showcases the next generation of players and it allows the public to get to know them, see their personalities, pick their favourites or not favourites. And and that that's what makes them want to watch them in future. And talking about personalities, he, he seemed like it was obviously the, it was a big story. Yeah, obviously it, it gets, it gets forgotten quite quickly. But if we talk about Karatsev, who's gone on and made semi-finals, and just having a little glance at his his at his results, I mean, in two thousand and eighteen, he was playing futures events genuinely. You know, he was genuinely at the back end of two thousand eighteen, age twenty five, 
You know, it's not now. Granted, he had he had some level because he was he was already it been as high as one ninety two hundred, but what an incredible story for for this guy to come from nowhere really to to make the to make the semi finals like that. I don't know how much did you knew about this guy Hiltz? Was it a? I guess it was a. You've been on the tour the last few years. Is he someone you've come across? Not not in recent years. No, I mean I was aware of him more as a junior when I was coaching Broads. Liam, it's as a junior, I remember seeing him at all those junior events, and he was one of the better players for sure. He just it was one of those who just went off the radar, you know. And clearly, he's been going through his own journey, but the rise he's had in the, you know, I'll be honest, I, I, other before before Australia, I, I remember seeing his name at the back end of last year because I saw he, I remember Ravinka playing some clay court challenges yeah. last summer, and, and I think he beat Ravinka, or, or they played each other in the finals. And I'm thinking, oh, Karatsev, you know, he's there he is. I haven't seen him for ages. You know, his, his, his rise recently has been incredible. Um, but he, he definitely went away for, for a number of years. Did he play, was he with Karlovsky? Was it them two? Yeah, the, that sort of age. So, okay. You would have when you were coaching Josh down. Yeah. You know, I remember when Liam won the junior ITF here before Wimbledon, Roehampton. He was, I'm pretty sure Liam beat him that week. And, and I remember thinking this is a good win. The guy, the, as you said, it was him and Karlovsky, wasn't it? And, yeah. Um, you know, it, it just shows you, doesn't it? You know, you persevere and don't know when it's going to happen. And fair play to him, top fifty now. I mean, yeah, and, and you know, he, he looked comfortable. He looked like he had a lot of belief, didn't he? He's, yeah, he did. That's got to be a nice story as well, Naomi. Like, like when you're in South Africa, you're in Egypt. You know, you guys. You know, when you're playing these events, that it kind of gives tennis players a little bit of hope, I guess, when we see that. <laughs> yeah, it keeps you going on that 22-hour journey door-to-door from South Africa to Egypt to get out the red zone so you can try and head to your next tournament because there's no quarantine exemptions at this level. So, yeah, it, if we, we need all the motivation we can get. <laughs> guys, I'm going to move. But again, we I could talk tennis with you guys all night, but it's, it's not fair to you guys or probably to the listeners to to be listening to my nonsense as well but I just I do want to touch on the doubles I think certainly with like you know a lot of a lot of British listeners and you know I know Heather Watson went for a couple of rounds in the doubles um obviously Joe Salisbury playing Jamie Murray in the, in the semi-finals and then Salisbury and Ram making their making their second final in a row after winning in Australia Australia last year and I think it's similar to the Karatsev story you know Polasek and Dodic who won the event you know I thought one thing that was was really fascinating around Polasek was he actually had five and a half years out of the game between 2013 and 2018 and then to come back and and to be winning a Grand Slam two years later I guess it's those sort of stories that make this sport so special Xavier and maybe it makes you want to have a little comeback on the dubs tour does it? No it's not going to happen you're, yeah. you're French Open doubles champion. Yeah, this is enough. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, I mean, you know what? I thought about it a couple of years or maybe four or five years ago. But, you know, I, I played a lot. I had my thing. and uh, But it's amazing to see. That's why before we started, I asked how old is Polasek now? Because he's got to be in the 40s. No? no, he's 36, I think. Oh, okay. He missed, he missed the birth of his daughter. His second oh. child. There's the second. That's one of our questions, Anne. 
That's one oh, of the sorry. fire questions. I was like, oh, just as well he won it because he missed quiz. the birth of his daughter. <laughs> I'll ask it anyway. They could have timed, they could have timed <laughs> having her in his five years off. <laughs> that was his second. Oh, yeah. Okay, if it's his second, then it's okay. No. <laughs> no, no. But that's amazing. I mean, it's, 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 it's good for tennis, though. You keep... But, I mean... You know, doubles, you can play for a while, I think, then, you know, I mean, it's less physical, you can keep going if you get a good partnership, obviously, he's played doubles all his life, you can keep going for another five years and miss a couple more births, you know, but. Um, <laughs> I, I saw, did I, I'm pretty sure I saw Julian Knowles' name in the men's doubles draw. Yeah, he was. Yeah. What's it? He must be late 40s, right? F- 59. <laughs> I mean, <it's laughs> that's that's got to be protective ranking, right? I don't know. I mean, some of these guys just go, just go. I mean, like it's still, it's our era. Me, you, me, Xavier, and Hiltz. It's our it's our era. All the doubles guys, you know, it's guys that we were playing yeah. with a long time ago. And and so imagine, I, so imagine how many more slams Joe Salisbury can win because he's a spring chicken in comparison, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, and he, and he goes under the radar, does Joe? You know, he just goes under the radar. Him and Rajiv seem to just be just kind of getting on and. You know, but they obviously have a have a have a great partnership. You know, they seem to get on really well, and and, and I would imagine he's kicking himself in the mixed doubles because he also lost in the semi-finals of the mixed doubles to to Sam Stosser, who it's amazing. I mean, I thought I saw Evan Hoyt and Eden Silver played them played Sam Stosser and Leander Pays at the 2019 Wimbledon mixed doubles. And that was like when the draw came out, I was so excited because Leander and Sam Stosser, you know, have won multiple Grand Slams. And honestly, Sam's level was so low. I thought it was. I thought she was finished. I thought, you know, and fair play to her. She'll be pushing late 30s, I guess, mid to late 30s. 37, 36, 37. But fair play to her. Oh, he must Leander be, is well, he's well up. Yeah, he's 45, 46. <laughs> he's like, I think Land- Leander's officially retired, I think. Uh, yeah, I think he has now. But yeah. so now, he, he might do another comeback. Officially retired. And Naomi, you're one to watch. Actually, we've made fun of a few people want to watch, but your one to watch was Sabalenka, that like that player that no one's ever heard of that's won about four 1,000 events. Um, and she she won the doubles, so maybe you knew something that we didn't know as well. Yeah, they did a ter- like a really terrible TikTok dance Instagram <laughs> post thing together at the start of the tournament, um, and I watched it and I was like, oh, what on earth is this? Um, I think I'm not that I'm really old. I'm kind of that weird generation with social media that we work. We kind of got it as teenagers we, we didn't grow up with it but now the, the the social media we did grow up with like facebook and instagram it's not what the young kids use now they're using this tiktok stuff and it, it's just not for me but anyway so oh, i'm glad you Sabalenka said that yeah it's, we're, i tried we're just tiktok in... last summer i had no idea what it was about no but, <laughs> but clearly it worked for them because they they put this tiktok dance thing up and then um went on to win the doubles, didn't they? So well, they've both won so many matches. Um, both of them won so many singles. The Mertens, well. the Belgium. Yeah. Maybe yeah. everybody saw it and they were in <laughs> they couldn't play them. That, I think but they're now but was. they're now going to take a break from doubles, Mertens and Sabalenka and focus on their yeah. singles despite all their success together. 
singles on TikTok. Well, they, they, win, they win so many singles matches, don't they? they? They're both so busy on the singles court. Didn't Mertens win the, the event before Australia? Yeah, she did. did. Mertens win that one, I think. Yeah. yeah. And Sabalenka hasn't lost a match for, for however. Sabalenka just doesn't lose singles matches anymore other than at Grand Slams. So uh, I'm not surprised they're taking a break from doubles because they're probably exhausted. And, and and to the listeners, if you sign up to TikTok at Naomi Brody, you will find her <laughs> over the I next three or four TikTok. weeks trying to <laughs> trying to bring some good luck to her next few tournaments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe that's where I'm going wrong. Whatever it takes, Naomi, you know. And, right. and, and to, to move into the Brits and Hilts, it's uh, you know, to have the, I guess the insight of of someone who was so recently and for so long coached Dan Evans. Um I actually had a not an argument, but I had a discussion on this with with a few people um, after he'd won the event. And you know, big shout out to Dan. What a what a great start to the year to to go and win the the, the pre tournament event uh, in Melbourne. But I had a I had a bit of an argument because I said that was the worst draw he could have received, bar maybe Sinner. Um, you know, being a being a seeded player for for a few of my own reasons but what did you think when you saw that draw come out Evans against Norrie first round well given the given the build up for the tournament for Dan I, I would I put him as favorite I had him to win I know he's uncomfortable with certain game styles and this, the game style that Cam plays isn't the best matchup for Dan he suffered a little bit um more recently a couple of grand slams whether it's been Nishioka and Moutet with a left-handed sort of style that they play. Um, so it was never going to be comfortable. He also, I think he came unstuck against Cam in the one of the Battle of the Brits tournaments last summer, although we beat him in the singles one and the indoors. He, he, it's not a great matchup, but I had him to win purely on the back of, of what he did the week before. I, I thought he'd be feeling fantastic about his tennis in a great headspace. And I just thought he'd have too much over in a grand slam. I, I really did, you know, and, and all credit to Cam for coming through. I, you know, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying after the match, you know, we keep in touch and he he thought that he'd shot himself in the foot a little bit by playing the week before. You know, I, I wanted to sort of, you know, I, I tried to bring some some sort of um, balance to that by I know how his mentality works at the end of his career. I do think that Dan will judge himself on on what he's won and winning a tournament for him will be a big thing. Um, you know, I'm, he wants to go deep in slams. He wants to be he wants to be in second weeks of slams, no doubt about it. And, and for sure, he has been and, and will continue to, to be. But I think it's important for him that he got that title. And there's no doubt that he can he can move on this year and, and into big, bigger and better things. It's just, it wasn't a great matchup. But I did think he would come through it. But all credit to Cam. Yeah, no, just a little blip in the road, I think, for Dan. And then, like you say, fair, fair play to Cam. Obviously, went on to third round. I want to go through the Brits a little bit quick and, and just shine a spotlight on, on that match, but also shine a little spotlight on Katie Bolter, who's been out for a, for a long time and, you know, had a couple of real standout wins, Naomi, and and, and in the in the pre-event as well. And, you know, Coco Goff, who's talked about so so highly, I think that certainly turned a few heads, you know, that result as well. And great to see Katie back. Yeah, absolutely. Her game is really aggressive. And um, with the courts being that bit quicker, as we heard before the Australian Open at Melbourne now, I, th- I think it definitely suits Katie's game. I think um, it's a shame she couldn't 
do as well at the Australian Open with the points being so high as well. But no, I think I think it's great for her to get those big wins at such a high level tournament as well, not just at ITX when she's on her way back. I'm sure it'll give her a lot of confidence going into the rest of the year. And the other spotlight before we move into our quick fire that Anne spoiled half of the questions already for. Um, <laughs> Sorry. You know, but no, I think it's an important spotlight to, to put on and that's wheelchair tennis. You know, tennis, you know, our great sport of tennis is, it's an inclusive sport. It's accessible to, to, to many people. We had Mark Bullock on the, on the podcast talking about coaching blind players, deaf players, you know, and it's a, it's a, it's a sport that really does get out there. And it's, it's the profile is really raising on the, and the wheelchair side. Um, and, and just, to, I guess the, the shout outs really, and, and, and on, on the British side, you know, Alfie Hewitt made, made, made the final, you know, losing to, to Jockham Gerrard, but again, Alfie had a, an unbelievable win against the, the great Japanese player who's hardly lost a match in, in, in the semi-finals. And then and then again, Gordon Reed, I think it's their 10th Grand Slam that they've now won together in doubles. And, and a big shout out to actually Soto Tennis, ex-Soto Tennis coach who was with Gordon, Juan Bos. Um, who I know loved his time out in Australia. And then uh, the, the big one that I'd, I'd really like to mention, and I've, Anne, I don't know how much you've you've seen him, but he seems like he's the Nick Kyrgios of wheelchair tennis, yet he seems yeah. to, but he wins. Uh, and he wins a lot of events. And that's Dylan Olcott, who just seems like such a massive personality. I don't know if you've you've been fortunate enough to come across him. Yeah, I mean, I've seen him in action. Um, he's an entertainer. He He's not shy, that's for sure. He's larger than life personality. Um, and he, he, you know, he's, he's been able to bring a lot of attention and the spotlight onto wheelchair tennis. Um, great role model to so many people. Those guys are so skillful. No, and the women as well. Um, you know, I've watched them in training, um, watching, watching play live matches, and it's it's really physical. Um, and what they do out there is um, is incredible. But Dylan Elcott, he yeah, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, if you ever get a chance to to watch, I I managed to watch Gordon Reed, and like I said to him again, I had Gordon on the podcast. It was like watching Rafael Nadal play in a wheelchair. The racket head speed that he got, I I was blown away. I was like completely blown away by it, you know. And and it, it is incredible. Hopefully, the TV are going to start showing more and more of it. And and well done to everyone that got involved. And to you guys for you know, I pro you promised me twenty minutes last time. I took an hour. I promised to 20, 30 minutes this time. I've taken an hour and a half. But. It's, it's just brilliant to sit and talk tennis to all of you. You know, you're you know, big parts of tennis in, in, in all of the different areas that you are that you are involved in. And a big, big, a big thank you to you all. I've loved spending time with you and I know that people will love to listen. But we do, as is tradition on the podcast, we have a quick fire round. But we've got a couple of little quick fire questions. So what you have to do, guys, the Zoom has a thumbs up. Now, if you have the answer, or just give me the thumb up, or lift your lift your red wine glass up as well, Zavia, yeah, that's fine. I'll take it. I'll take it as a thumb. I'll take it as a thumb. Um, to see who's been listening, the first question I've already talked about. So, hands on the buzzers, guys. There he goes. No answering without hands up. Uh, the 
most watched match in the United States of America. Naomi's got a thumb. Uh, <laughs> that last bit uh, through you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say Nick. Okay, uh, wrong. And okay, team. Next. Wrong. Uh, and answer too quick. Serena, Serena Williams, Naomi Osaka. Boom. One point to Anne K. Thank you. There we I go. Have to wait for the question to finish. Got to wait. That. You've got to wait, Naomi. Um, which country had the most finalists in the wheelchair events at the Australian Open? That was Anne first again. It was Anne. Great Britain. Great Britain. Two points for Anne. Second question. Your thumbs are all up, so you're going to have to actually show me your hands this time. Second question. How many? Xavier? Four. Incorrect. Damn. How many what? How many? How many finalists did they have? Oh. Two. Three. Hold on. Hold on. They're they should they're also in trouble for shouting. So Hilt, you you have you have an answer. It's not, it's not two, it's not three, it's not four. <laughs> a big five, mate. It's obvious, it's isn't it? Five! Everyone knew it was five. Come on. It's five. It's just being patient, just patiently waiting. Um, um, in the final. They had they had five finalists. They had Alfie Hewitt, they had Alfie Hewitt and Gordon Reed, they had Lucy Shuka. And they had Andy Lapthorn. All made finals oh. in singles or doubles. Yes. Yeah. Oh, God. Well, well done, Hiltz. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the fastest ever recorded backhand at the Australian Open was hit during the championships. Who hit it? Anne? Medvedev? Incorrect. Oh. Hiltz? Oh. Sina? Incorrect. Xavier. Team. Incorrect. Naomi. This is like high school. All I'm over gonna here. go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be controversial and go Osaka. Incor no. Incorrect. It was Dennis Shapovalov. Ah, oh, no really? However, you now for a bonus point. How many miles per hour was the oh. shot? A backhand. Yeah. Uh -huh, yeah. I'll give you a clue. It's faster than any serve Mark Hilton's ever hit. <laughs> really hard, 55 miles per hour. That is hard. <laughs> <laughs> no way. <laughs> what, what, I'm going to guess last. I'm going to wait till everyone else. Xavier, Xavier first. Let's go with 105. 105. Hilts. That's not saying much for my serve. <laughs> <laughs> um, are we doing miles? Are we doing miles or miles? Miles. Well, let's hope it's not K's. Jesus. Anna <laughs> <laughs> um, Kornikova. <laughs> one thirty-one. Wow. What? Wow. That's, that's it's a fast backhand. Hilter's out. He's just got an ego about his serve. Add <laughs> <laughs> in that, Ad. What did Javier say? 105. 104. <laughs> oh, tactical. <laughs> Naomi? I'll go 110. Oh, you should have been tactical. You should have said 103, and you would have been very close because it was 102. Ooh. Ooh. So I've won this, haven't I? Anne's on three points. Everyone else is on zilch so far. No, 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 no. no, no. 
<laughs> Hilton's on. Um, okay, fingers on the buzzers. <laughs> what was so special about Polisek at the Australian Open? Oh, you had a baby. Hilt. No, you don't do no hilts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Come one. on, Alex. Come on. Age. Second baby was born. It was a girl. Well done, Hilts. Bonus <laughs> point for the girl as well. <laughs> How many days before the final, though? Oh, <laughs> for a bonus point. Um, two. The, two, the, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I gave that answer to you earlier. <laughs> the, last, the, the, last, the last question. Because I'm not going to give Naomi the, the one that she thought I was going to ask earlier, the Kyrgios team one. That, <laughs> that's not coming out. That was my one point. Semi-finalist Karatsev went on a losing streak of matches in 2019. <laughs> How many matches was it? And Anne, as the leader, you go first. Was without, it longer than mine? <laughs> without Googling. Without Googling. Uh, Hiltz is Googling it right now. I'm I'm not. Not. <laughs> um, Hands up. I'm going to say 11. 11. Hiltz, your a second. Run, that. That's a tough run. Um, <laughs> I'll say seven. Seven. Xavier? Got to be a lot if you're asking it. So 14. 14. Naomi? I'll go unlucky number 13. Another point for our leader. Ten. It was oh, ten. come on! I am all over you this. Know, you have like smashed it. Anne is our champion. But how? But again, and and what I really hope, I guess my my motivation for for all of these podcasts is that people people see the realities of the sport. You know, and they they learn. It's not all. You know, Novak Djokovic lifting eighteen Grand Slams. You know, we're in a we're in a challenging sport. This guy losing 10 matches in a row back in 2019, we're talking 18 months ago, you know, and then and that's not playing in ATP events, that's playing challenger events. And you that's know, 18 and, months, including and, 12 months of COVID, that, right? Exactly. So we're talking very <laughs> recently, you know. So any tennis players out there having a tough time, it happens to everyone. It's the reality of our sport. Get back, get back on the horse. You never know when your time is, you know. And I think it's it's great for us to have those stories. Truly, guys, thank you so much for coming on. You're all absolute stars uh, wherever you are in the world. Uh, I hope that we, we connect again soon. And a, and a big shout out and thank you from me and all the listeners. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, thank you. As always, thanks for listening. And a big thank you to our panellists for giving up their time. They do that free of charge. They have very busy lives. And for them to come on and and do that and just, yeah, offer such open, honest insights. You know, hearing Mark Hilton talking about the the mind of Dan Evans going into playing that match, you know, talking about how maybe he regrets playing the, the event leading up, you know, and really, truly getting underneath the bonnet of our sport and, and, and hearing pretty much directly with these players and getting that level of engagement was just fantastic. Yeah, what can we say? Naomi Osaka, four wins out of four finals. Really interesting to me that all of a sudden the panellists are talking about her. Xavier saying that maybe she's going to win as many as Serena Williams. And it was only three weeks ago, everyone was finding it hard to pick a winner in the women's. And now... Maybe we're talking about someone going on to be the greatest ever female player. 
I don't know if that's the case or not, but Osaka's certainly making the right waves. And then we move on to the men's side. Even even the experts that we have on there, they thought Medvedev was going to beat Djokovic. It's crazy. If you really, really think about it, it's completely bonkers that you would think someone who hasn't won a Grand Slam yet is favourite to beat someone who has won 17 Grand Slams, has won eight Australian Opens, owns the Rod Laver court. You know, the guy doesn't lose matches on the Rod Laver arena and and still we get brought in and that's what we love about the sport. You know, the energy that brings us towards picking our favourites. Who do we think is going to win? And to see what super fans they these guys still are in the sport was amazing. To get Naomi Brody's insight and Jennifer Brady, you know, good friends. And also, it really, I don't know if you picked it up on the podcast, but when I talked about Naomi Osaka and how, you know, the, the self-worth of a player that is sometimes related to whether they've won or lost a match, that really hit a nerve with Naomi she spoke about that. There was definite real emotion in her voice. And I'm looking forward to getting Naomi on the show in the next two or three weeks where I would like to unpack that, you know, and I think Naomi speaks incredibly well. She's had a fantastic career, but there is definitely some areas there that I'd like to get into that are real about the sport. Um, I'm going to leave it there for now. I do plan on bringing those guys back for the French Open. If they'll come on again, uh, but I'm sure they'll be kind to give their time and it'll be another fun one to look forward to. But before then, we've got Louis Kaye coming later this weekend as another little extra bonus episode. And then we've got lots more amazing guests to come to you over the next few weeks for you to enjoy. But until then, I'm Dan Kiernan and we are Control the Controllables.